What is it that gives you that, that Christmas feeling? That lets you know that the Christmas season has arrived? Is it a particular candy? Is it the start of the big shopping season? Perhaps it's when you walk into the stores and that familiar Christmas tune that you love is playing an instrumental version over the speakers. Maybe that's it. Well, a few weeks ago, Kristen and I were out by ourselves for the evening, and when we got in the car to head home, I was feeling that Christmas feeling. So I launched Spotify on my phone, and I started the Christmas album, one of my favorites, A Christmas Together. Now, that title sounds like any normal Christmas album, right? It sounds pretty typical. But there's something a little bit different about this one. Uh, It was released in 1979. And it's a collection of Christmas songs sung by John Denver and the Muppets. Yep, my favorite Christmas album. You know that I'm particularly taken with the feelings of Christmas when I break out John Denver and the Muppets. Last year on Christmas Day, I even found the old album and pulled out a small phonograph player I have, and I listened to it, needle scratching and all. It was fantastic. It took me back to those moments of sitting by our console record player as a child and hearing those songs. And honestly, I think I can still probably sing 98% of the words from that album. And I think most of us have something for us that triggers those emotions for us that, that get us into that feeling of Christmas. We cherish those memories because they're so deeply connected to our families and to our own identities. But Christmas is not just important because it brings families together and gives us memories that we hold dear to our hearts. We celebrate Christmas because of the great truth that is the heart of what Christmas is really about. God the Son took on flesh to bear the wrath of God for our sins. And when he arrived, it wasn't the way that we would expect it to be. He arrived in a lowly manner, and it was announced to those who were at the bottom of the social ladder. We celebrate Christmas because God descended to us in our sin and our fallenness to rescue us from our sin and unbelief. Jesus was not born, as I said earlier, to create a holiday. He was born to suffer and die for our sin and unbelief. Now this is perhaps the Bible story that we know best, right? It's pretty straightforward, and we have heard it many times, uh, but it's my hope that we'll be able to approach it today and glean from it application that does not only give us those warm Christmas feelings because we've heard the Christmas story, but it will also equip us to better live as God's servants in his world. And so to do this, We're going to break down the passage into three main points again today. First thing that we are going to see is that Jesus arrived in real space-time history. Now, I bring this up nearly every year when we talk about the Christmas story, and I'm going to do it again. In fact, maybe this morning, one of the children who didn't feel like coming to church said, we got to go to church today. Pastor Marsh is going to talk about how Jesus was born into the real world again. 
But it's that important. It is that important. We need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that this is not just a made-up myth that makes us feel good. We are real sinners, and we are in need of real grace in our real lives, and so we need a real Savior. And Luke is deliberate to let us know that the coming of Jesus happened in the real world. Secondly, we see that Jesus comes in a lowly manner. There weren't parades for the king of the universe who had arrived to save his people. It wasn't announced to the important people of the world. Dignitaries didn't drop everything to come and honor him because they didn't want to be left out. He was born in a simple way, and his birth was announced to those who had a low place in society. And finally, we see that the news of the arrival of the Messiah causes God to be praised. The ones who experienced this saw what was happening, and it's vital that we understand the same thing, and we let it drive us to praise and worship God too. And so with our roadmap set out for this journey, let us begin. So to let us know that his story is anchored in history, Luke connects the story that he is telling with real people in the real world. We see it here, and you know, maybe when you read the Christmas story to your family, you stumble over Corinius like I did. But Luke is telling us that this is a real event. This is a real person when Caesar Augustus was reigning. Now, Luke wrote down his gospel in the 60s sometime, not the 1960s. He wrote it down in the 60s sometime, and so it was less than 70 years since the birth of Jesus. And the ministry of Jesus was less than 40 years prior. He was, he was able to walk around. He was able to talk to people who had known Jesus, who had experienced him, people who would have been able to answer his questions. So he had eyewitness testimony that he's working with here. And so this story is attached to places and people that his audience really knows. And that's really important to help the reader understand the story. Now, I've been struggling with something where, where this isn't the case. Not, not long ago, I had commented to a friend of mine that lives in California, sent him a text message, and I said, you know, I always want to know stories and know how people thought, and, you know, I've really missed out on some literature from over time that may be good for me to read as a preacher to understand and to know more stories. And so we decided that to hold each other accountable, we would slowly read through some classic literature together. We decided to start with the Iliad. Now that book, every week we meet face-to-face -face online to hold each other accountable to read, and we can't discuss a thing about it because we don't understand the people and the places. We don't understand who the gods and goddesses are. We are lost. We cannot wait to get through this book, but we're soldiering through because we said we would. But when you don't know the people, when you don't know the places, understanding something is hard. It just doesn't matter. I have no buy-in because I don't understand. I understand that this story, the Iliad, did not happen in real time and space. What difference does it make for me? But when I read Luke, and I understand that Luke is putting real time-space history into the story, I understand that Jesus came for a reason, and it matters to me. There's a reason that I am bought in. Well, 
The Bible is so different, as I just said. The Bible is so different than other myths of history. The Bible wants us to know that this really happened. We read it, and we can understand the history, and the place is much better. Why? Because it's not rooted in in some mythology. It's rooted in actual historical events. And all this detail is important because we have some prophetic details from the Old Testament that are also important. Now, I heard a story once about a pastor who was talking with a Sunday school class around Christmas time. And he was wanting to make sure the kids understood the story. And he said to the class, why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? And one boy raised his hand, ooh, ooh, right? Had the answer. And he boldly replied, because his mother was there. (laughs) Now, he was right. It's very true. And of course, that is also very necessary. But we know the deeper reason right? Why Bethlehem? The promised Messiah is to be of the line and lineage of David, and he's to be born in Bethlehem. We know this from the Old Testament. But the woman who is carrying the promised one is from Nazareth. This creates a bit of a problem, right? You can't have a Messiah who fulfills all the promises made about him except the first one. That would be tough. And so somehow, somehow, This woman who is carrying the Savior of the world needs to end up in Bethlehem. And so, what do we have? God ordains history in such a way that Mary and her betrothed have to go to Bethlehem. And while they're there, it becomes time for her to give birth. Now, we shouldn't be surprised at this. We we see throughout Scripture how God ordains events in order that his plans might unfold according to his purposes. And this is something important for us to remember. These details that Luke gives us of the Christmas story remind us that God is in control. And he ordains history for our good and his glory. These aren't throwaway details in the story here. It isn't stuff we should just jump over while we get to the other stuff. These are details that are important to remind us that God is in control. And it also lets us know that Jesus is the promised one. He is going to be born where the Messiah is to be born. And he will be born from the kingly line of David, just as it was prophesied. The setup to the story here is important. And it reminds us that this isn't just any baby. This is our Savior. And so as we move on to our next point, we look at uh, Luke 2, starting with verse 7. We see the next part of the story. And it's not only that Jesus came in real history, but it's also important that the circumstances of his, arri- of his arrival tell us something about him. As we look at Jesus, we see who he came to save. But before we get into the details of his birth in this passage, I want to point out something important here in the first four words of verse 7. And she gave birth. Again, an important reminder that Jesus is entering the real world. And he is doing it just as every human before him had done. This is not some ethereal, mystical, floaty, off-somewhere character, this Jesus. He was born. 
His mother gave birth. This is a real, living, breathing baby. He did not poof onto the scene magically. Even though his arrival was ordained by God, it's ordinary. It's ordinary. Well, we see this in the fact that Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes. She did what she had seen mothers do so many times before. He wasn't magically going to be different than other children. He was going to cry. He was going to need to be changed. And he was going to need to eat. Like I said, his birth was ordinary. There weren't servants running around telling the people outside, the king has been born. There wouldn't have been posts on Facebook and Twitter with articles about the birth of this new royalty. It was ordinary. To the family of Joseph that would have been around, it would have been just like any other birth into their family. They just happened to be around. In fact, we read that there wasn't room for them in the guest rooms, but they had to stay in the stable. So Mary made do with a manger to lay Jesus in. He was not born in high estate. Instead, he was among the animals. From all the glory of heaven, from the glories of, the, of heaven that we can't even imagine, to the stable, to one of the lowest places on earth. God the Son took on human flesh, but not to conquer with power and with force, but to live a humble life and to keep the law on your behalf. Why? Because he was coming to save us from our sin. Our first parents violated the commands of God in the garden, and it separated us from God, but Christ came to repair that breach by keeping the commands of God on behalf of his people. And we see the truth of this lowly arrival in how it's announced. It isn't a breaking story to those in positions of power in the government of Rome. They didn't go to the people who were in charge in Jerusalem. It's announced to one of the lowest classes of people in that time, shepherds. This poorly thought of and often overlooked group of people are the ones who received the most important birth announcement in history. How amazing is that? They received the announcement of the birth of Jesus, and it must have been something magnificent because it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and it filled the shepherds with great fear. And I can't I can't even imagine what that must have been like. I, I get scared relatively easy, okay? Uh, I'm kind of a jumpy dude. But I can't imagine a sudden showing of heavenly light invading my space while I'm hoping to keep track of a few sheep. That must have been unbelievable. But regardless of what this must have been like for the shepherds, the angels let them know that they haven't come just to give them a, a little bit of a start. They have come to give them good news of great joy because in Bethlehem has been born a Savior. No wonder they said that this was good news. They're declaring right out of the gate that the child is the one. He is the one who has been promised from the beginning to save us from our sin. And this is clearly what he came to do because they're calling him a savior, and he hasn't done a thing yet. 
He's been born and he's laying in a manger. He is helpless. He needs his mother to change him, his mother to feed him, his mother to care for him. And yet, they're using the term Savior. And it tells us what God is going to do in history with this God the Son who has taken on human flesh. He is going to keep the law for his people. He is going to suffer and die to bear the wrath of God for the sin of his people. He is going to rise again to win victory over death and hell. And he will ascend to the right hand of God the Father to reign as king. It's who he is. This is what this child is going to do. And this announcement comes to the shepherds. And it lets us know that Jesus isn't just a savior for the rich and the wealthy. He comes from the glories of heaven to those who are in the lowest of places. And now, this isn't just important for the social implications. This is a reminder to you and I, to everyone, that each and every last one of us is in a low estate in our sin. While we may not be as poor or as smelly as a first century shepherd, we have all been impacted by sin. God is holy, and we are not And we're in the lowest estate because of our sin. But yet God still stoops to us and he announces the gospel to us that we might believe and be brought to faith. He stoops to us and he rescues us. And this is a reminder that he is the savior for sinners. The savior promised since the fall. The savior needed since the fall. And so as we move on to verse 13 through 20, and we close out the passage, we see what the response is to this news that is so good. It is to bring praise and glory to God. If we thought the arrival of the angels was something, when the shepherds were scared, if we thought that must have been pretty great, what must the multitude of heavenly hosts been like? They praise God for the arrival of the Savior saying, glory be to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he is pleased. More angels arrive for the purpose of praising God and they proclaim his glory and bring praise to him. But then they also make a statement. They make a declaration. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now this is an important statement. Now the first thing that we have to see is something we might miss if we, if we buzz through this too quickly. Who's making this declaration? It's a heavenly host. Now, we don't know what that means. That's not how we talk. But a host is a military term. It's a group of soldiers. And yet, what is this host doing? They are arriving and announcing peace. This is something we wouldn't expect We wouldn't expect the announcement of Jesus to go to the shepherds, and we wouldn't expect a host to announce peace. We have a Savior born in a stable, and the birth announced to lowly shepherds, and now a declaration of peace. In case you're missing the point, Jesus is not the Savior the people would have expected. This wasn't what they were thinking when the Messiah would come. They were expecting something completely different. And this is part of the reason we see that Jesus is rejected by his own people. They did not expect 
who he is. We see it in who the, the good news is announced to. Those with whom God is pleased or the people of his good pleasure. In other words, the angels are saying peace to the people on whom God will pour out his grace upon. May the people that God is gonna show grace to have peace. In other words, they are declaring that this Savior will bring peace to the people of God. Through the work of this child in the stable, we will have peace with God. Our struggle with God in our sin is over because of this child. The war is over. The child brings peace with God for you and I. Now, we don't know what the shepherds understood about everything that was going on, but they knew what to do. When, when the angels appear and tell you to do something, I'm guessing you do it. I never had it happen, obviously, but if an angel told me to do something, I would get on my horse and do it, and that's what the shepherds do. They go to Bethlehem and bring the Christ child praise. They tell them what the angels had declared to them, and we read that some wondered at what the shepherds told them, but what did Mary do? She treasured treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary knew. She had been told who Jesus would be by the angel. She had conceived as a virgin, and now she takes this message from the shepherds in. She knows that this child is a savior for they are going to name him Jesus, right? The name Jesus literally means the Lord saves. That's what the name means. It's right there in his name. She's been told who he is going to be. This is who he is, and that's why you and I are here today. We understand who this child is, and so we gather to worship God just as the shepherds did as they went to the stable. And just as the shepherds could not remain at the stable, we do not remain here. This is great, but we're going to leave from here today. We go out into the world. So may we be impacted by the truth of this message. Even though this story that we know so well is maybe easy for us to overlook, we need to think about important applications for us today. So the first thing that I think we need to remember is that Jesus is a very real Savior. It's so easy for us to compartmentalize our lives, right? We section off different things that we believe to be important. These become the parts of our lives. We, we have Sunday church life over here, we have work life here, we have a social life, you get the idea. But Jesus came into the world as a real Savior. And if his saving work is real, and it is, then that invades every area of our lives, doesn't it? It informs how we think, how we love, how we live in this world. And this story that we celebrate today is not some fable or morality story that allows us to take it or leave it. Ah, I like that story. I don't like this one. We can't do that. It's not what this is. This isn't Aesop's fables. It's not mythology. It's the true story of how our Savior saved us. And because Jesus stepped into history and rescued us, it calls us to follow him. To do this, we pursue holiness. We proclaim the gospel of his salvation, and we praise God 
for what he has done for us. And secondly, Christmas means that God's plan, the one we've been looking at this year in the book of Genesis, Christmas means that God's plan has come to pass. I've mentioned throughout Advent, I've mentioned this several times, but it's an important truth. God is in control. He made a promise and he kept it. And at nearly every turn of the story, it seems as though God is not in control. If you read through the Old Testament, it seems like things aren't going to happen and then we find out that God is in fact in control. He ordains the course of history to bring about his purposes and to bring glory to himself. Now it's been an interesting year, has it not? And Luke's telling of the Christmas story brings out the truth of how God ordains history. And we must not forget that God is in control. You have been saved by grace through faith because of this child in the manger. And he will never leave you or forsake you. He did not take on human flesh, suffer, die, and rise again to abandon you. Christmas is an amazing reminder of all that God does for his people. And so as we look at the plan that came to pass to save us, and we celebrate Christmas today and praise God today, may we remember that he is with us and he will continue his work in us until he brings it to completion. And so, I leave you with a paraphrase of the proclamation of the angels. Glory to God in the highest and in Christ. May you know the peace of being the people of God's good pleasure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.